So Grace gets the tests and Dr. Martland scans her body with the electrometer and she blows into the test tubes to measure the amount of radiation in her lungs. And when their results come back, they are told that they have radiation poisoning and point blank, they are going to die. Welcome to the Compendium, an assembly of glowing tales from history where we uncover the bright and dark sides of scientific and social progress. Yeah? Yeah? You like that? That's good. Do you have any idea what it means? I have no idea. I know what we're talking about today loosely. You've given me a few clues, but I don't know how that connects, if I'm honest. Oh, I did work on that pretty hard for you, but I'm glad you appreciated the effort. So, for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, I'm your host, Kyle Reesey. I'm a radium novice, and I'm hungry to delve into today's darker side of the scientific story. And I'm your co-host, Adam. I'm a fellow explorer who is prepared to be illuminated by today's story of the past. So, Mr. Adam, for the first time in compendium history, you stood in as host last week, where you told me all about the story of the Chippendales. Who knew male stripping was so devious? I know, right? It was a good show, if I do say so myself. But I'm back firmly in the co-hosting seat this week as, um, you know, hand over the reins back to yourself. See, it's not as easy as you thought it would be, was it? No, I need a few weeks off now. <laughs> I really enjoyed uh, you telling the story for once. I really appreciate kind of the position that you're in when I'm coming to you with fresh new facts. Every week. <laughs> Every week, yeah. So you're listening to The Compendium, an assembly of fascinating and intriguing things. We are a weekly podcast where I, Kyle Reesey, tell Adam, my inquisitive and charismatic co-host, all about a topic I think that he will find both fascinating and intriguing. So what are you serving us today? So I picked up this week's topic because of how its legacy impacts us all even today over a hundred years later and what makes this so compelling is that so many of us just haven't even heard of it so in today's compendium i'll be telling you all about the haunting yet inspiring tale of the radium girls have you heard of this story before not no no idea no idea what we're covering today usually i have a bit of a vague idea of mm -hmm. but this yeah brand new information do you even know what radium is is it not i'm right in thinking it's uh Radioactive? Yeah, it is radioactive, yeah. Let's dive into today's episode, shall we? Let's do it. It started with a toothache. Molly Magia's dentist examined her aching mouth and concluded that she had a run-of-the-mill gum infection. It was expected to get better, but it didn't. And the dentist removed one tooth, then another, and then another. Each time, the abscesses left behind refused to heal. Molly began experiencing strange pains, not just in her mouth, but also in her hips and also her feet. One day in the spring of 1922, Molly visited her dentist again. He prodded at a really painful spot on her jaw and the bone gave way. And he realized that he could actually lift a part of Molly's jawbone right out of her mouth. Oh. This young, vivacious girl in her early 20s was quite literally falling apart. That sounds horrendous. It is. Edith, 
a trained nurse who lived in the same boarding house as Molly in Orange in New Jersey, knew Molly really well. She was aware of Molly's energetic nature and her determination to live independently. Edith also knew that Molly loved her job painting glow-in-the-dark numbers onto watch faces so they could be read in the dark until she became too sick to continue. Edith did her best to keep Molly comfortable, but one terrible afternoon in September, she couldn't do anything. The infection had spread to Molly's throat and Molly started to hemorrhage blood. Edith tried to stop the bleeding, but she couldn't. And at five o'clock that afternoon, Molly Magia was dead. Edith never forgot her. Two years later, a woman from the Consumers League of New Jersey came asking about Molly. Edith welcomed her in and told her everything she knew because Edith didn't want anything like this to happen to anyone ever again. But it already had. The reason this investigator was there was that other girls in New Jersey had also gotten sick. Other girls had watched their bodies fall apart quite literally like Molly. And the one thing that linked all these girls together was the job that they loved so much, painting glow-in-the-dark numbers onto watch faces so they could all be seen in the dark. Adam, in today's episode of The Compendium, I'm going to be telling you about a group of incredibly courageous women known to the world as the Radium Girls and how they devoted their lives to ensuring that millions of people like you and I would have safer working conditions. I mean... I used to have reoccurring nightmares about my teeth falling out, but mm-hmm. this sounds like a whole nother level of just falling apart. Jeez, yeah, this is this is that nightmare. Like For real. <laughs> yeah, for real. God, can you imagine going to the dentist, you having one tooth fall out, the next tooth, and then literally before you know it, someone can literally take part of your jaw out of your mouth because it's just decayed so much and you have no idea why. It's kind of, yeah, so it sounds like whatever that job was Mm -hmm. well not where something in their job has linked this to cause almost like cancerous tumory type thing taking over that's it to die and i think that's what makes the story just so incredible is like for the longest time these women had no idea what was happening to them they had just no idea and then for the penny to finally drop and for the women that took charge here to lead that way to uncover and define that truth it just makes the story just so incredible So I'm really excited to be telling you this today. So let's crack on. Okay. So our story starts in April the 6th, 1917, five years before the death of Molly Magia. The US has just entered into World War I, and this is where we meet a young 18-year-old woman called Grace Fryer. Now, Grace is cool, right? She was fiercely independent. She was popular and extremely sure that she was going to be somebody big someday, right? Like that classic 1920s attitude that people had back then. Like, I'm going to be somebody someday. You'll see. You'll all see. <laughs> Leaves town and, um, yeah, hopes yeah. to come back. So She's made it. That was her. That was Grace. She was just this really enigmatic woman. Grace had just said goodbye, though, to her two brothers who had gone off to fight in the war. And eager to find her own way to contribute to the war effort, Grace decided to join the United States Radium Corporation, or the USRC for short. Now, they specialized in applying glow-in-the-dark radium paint to important military instruments like altitude gauges and speedometers. Also extremely popular were radium-painted watch dials, which is what Grace was going to be tasked with doing. Mm-hmm. Now, along with Grace, the women working in these studios were generally very young. Many of them were between the ages of like 14 and 16 when they started 
at the Dial Painting Studio. So it's their first job. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. And I think, remember, all the men have gone off to war as well. So this kind of paved the way for a lot of young women to kind of enter into the workforce, Mm -hmm. essentially. Now, Grace and the other girls are taught to mix the glowing paint by hand. They kind of sort of scatter in a dash of radium powder with water um, and the required adhesive before, like, stirring it all up. And, of course, it's a messy job because the mixture would kind of splash all over their hands and their clothes and the radium dust would kind of puff up into the air and drift off throughout the studio before settling on everything it came into contact with. Mm-hmm. Now, once the girls got their mixture just right, they would start to paint numbers onto the watch faces. And, of course, this is meticulously detailed work. Some of the watch faces were just three centimeters across. So the numbers on these watch dials were tiny. So one way to get a really fine point on the brushes was to literally just suck on the tip of the brush so that the bristles all tapered to a single point. And the girls would do this over and over again. And because the girls are paid by the watch, they had to both be precise and fast. So by the time Grace was fully trained, she's literally painting like 250 of these dials in a single day. So it's quick work. So being a dial painter is also considered like a really great job at this time as well. It was one of the best that a working class girl could pretty much get at this time. And so having a steady hand, and if you were artistic in nature, then this really is an amazing job and the money was considered extremely good for its time. I can't picture how that is an amazing job somehow. That's interesting. What do you mean? I don't know. I imagine it would get quite boring, but maybe that's me because I don't like doing the same thing over and over. Not everyone can work in marketing, Adam. <laughs> that's not <laughs> Not everyone's an ad man. (laughs) That's not what I meant. But um, it's interesting how it was quite really sought after. But then if Mm. it's the money as well, obviously. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, though, when vacancies would open up, which when the war started, there were a lot. The girls would promote the jobs amongst their friends and their sisters and their cousins, which made the dial painting studio feel like this big, huge family. Right. They're all working with their friends and stuff. So it was a really enjoyable place to work as well. Sure. And the company would also organize these company picnics. So there were a lot of fun times being had amongst the workforce and a lot of close relationships being forged between the girls. A company picnic? Yeah, that's so like that's so like 50s. And then that's so nice when you think about now how it's beers are down the pub and stuff like that. But no, company picnic. Yeah, company picnic. Nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was a small brook that ran just behind the studio. There are like a bunch of photographs of the girls just hanging out, eating ice cream, like they're playing games and they're just like being young. It really was this idyllic environment. And to outsiders, the work was also considered extremely glamorous as well. It was glamorous because these girls got to work with this new and strange novel glow-in-the-dark paint, which everyone was raving about at the time. But what was this illustrious, illuminous product called radium? That's the question. Yeah, my, I mean, I feel like I might have guessed where this is now going. My understanding of radium is it's, yeah, it's not necessarily good for you. No, it's not. I mean, I didn't know a huge bunch about radium before I started this, but I knew it was like uranium. Yes, yeah, that's what I think of. Yeah. So the fact that they are using this every day, Mm -hmm. being exposed to it, and you just mentioned about dipping it, you know, like... um, Yeah. So let's talk about the radium craze for a minute. We need to take a step back to 1896, where we meet a pair of chemists who you may have heard of. They are husband and wife duo, Marie and... Pierre Curie. You heard of them? Ring a bell? 
Pierre Curie. Yeah. Marie Curie? Oh, my God. Yeah, sorry. You I'm... need me so badly. Oh, no, because you said Pierre Curie. That's what threw me off. Pierre, Marie and Pierre, their husband and wife. Oh, I didn't realize she had a husband. But yeah, yeah Marie Curie, of course. So they're busy studying a mineral called pitchblend, which is a form of rock that is mined literally all over the world. And it's the primary source of uranium. Now, at the time, the Curies noticed that pitchblend was way more radioactive that could be explained by the presence of uranium alone. So after months of painstaking work, the Curies managed to isolate two new elements from the pitchblend, and this is polonium and radium. Now, radium is rare, all right? It takes seven tons of pitchblend just to produce one single gram of radium. It's also really interesting because in this form, it glows. It gives off energy in the form of tiny particles and waves like alpha, beta, and gamma radiation, which makes it extremely radioactive. And at the time, this was not fully understood, but it was quickly realized that radium had the ability to destroy cancer tumors. So this caused others to wonder, if it could cure cancer, what else could this incredible substance do? Which is so misguided when you think about it, right? Mm. It's curing cancer because it's literally destroying it. The so they think, cells. yeah. And I think because people misunderstand this, they just think it's, it's getting miracle. rid of the cancer. Exactly. So what else could it do? Yeah. So the answer seemed that radium could do anything. So radium started being added to almost everything. If you had dull, lifeless looking hair, then you could try radium shampoo. If you had a bad sinus infection, a product called Radithor, which promised to give you a dose of internal sunshine to clear it right up. Internal sunshine. Mm, that's it. Radium was also added to lots of different cosmetics like powders and foundations to give the wearer a literal glowing complexion. Really? Yeah. So uh, people would actually glow in the dark? Yeah. There were also radium knickers and jock straps to help boost your sex life as well. <laughs> <laughs> so you're undressing and I don't know, I, I imagine... I think I'd just laugh if I saw someone in glowing in the dark underwear. I don't know if they were glowing. I think it was just like it was infused with it. I don't know if it has been a particular form to glow, but I guess so. I don't think that's the selling point. I think the selling point is that it has radium in it and that it's this kind of wondrous miracle kind of cure that can cure cancer. So it can cure all sorts of other things, right? But yeah, it's a novel thought to think like, oh, they got glow in the dark underwear. I literally just put this in everything. This is mm. great. That's, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's mental. If you were really conscious about your health and if you were rich enough, then you were also probably drinking radium-infused water as well, which recommended five to seven glasses per day. I'm trying to think what the equivalent is now of what they literally add into everything. It's the same as CBD oil. Yeah, that's right? what it is now. Like that was everywhere yeah. and it was just a fad. Now it's in toothpaste and mm. moisturizer creams. Yeah. <laughs> underwear. <laughs> Basically... <laughs> There was even, you could even get chocolate and butter or radium infused products, which was just mental. That's stupid. People were really crazy for radium at this time. And the radium girls were lucky enough to literally work with this awesome element every day. That's how the general public saw this. And also, they were starting to take advantage of this. There was one girl who paints her teeth with glow in the dark radium paint because she has a date that evening. And she wants to have like a smile that will knock him dead. So the girls would regularly wear their best dresses to work so that when they went out dancing afterwards in the music halls and the speakeasies, the girls would be the ones shining and shimmering on the dance floor covered in this glowing radium dust that had accumulated on their clothing throughout the day. 
I'd love to have seen what they actually looked like. I can't find any photos of what that looks like. I and I'd love to see it. Imagine like a Disney princess sparkling. Or yeah, that's how I imagine it. Perfect. The neighbors nicknamed the girls the ghost girls because they looked like glowing spirits walking down the streets on the way home, which is sad given what we know is possibly coming. Yeah. Now, I do have some pictures of the girls for you. So this is a picture of Grace Fryer. Mm-hmm. Beautiful girl, isn't she? Yeah. She looks she's, cheeky, doesn't she? She looks like you don't want to mess with her. Well, she's from New Jersey. So yeah. That was a terrible accent. No, that was good. It was fine. <laughs> there they all are, just at work, mm-hmm. being, you know, cheeky, having fun. Yeah, that's, maybe, I think, maybe a, one of the picnics. I was going to say, yeah, it's a picnic. And then there they are working in a studio. Mm. Cool. So you at least now have a sense of who they are and who we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So one day, Grace Fryer is at a workstation in the studio, trying to keep up with her daily quota of watches. She's lipping and dipping her brush over and over again when she notices a man walking like intently through the studio. So this man is Dr. Saban Arnold von Zukoki. He is the founder of the USRC and the inventor of the paint that Grace is using. As he's passing through, he freezes at the sight of Grace lip-pointing her radium-soaked brush in and out of her mouth. And he comes over to her and says very clearly, do not do that, you will get sick. Now, Von Sokoki knows radium better than anyone else at the company because he actually studied under Marie and Pierre Curie. Mm-hmm. He was reportedly completely transfixed by radium, and he also knew how dangerous it was. Once while he was working in the lab, a bit of radium had gotten onto his finger, which ended up literally destroying the tip over time. So Von Sokoki decides to just cut off the effective fingertip to contain the damage and then just carries on working as normal. But the picture I just looked at were these women in just regular clothes, no protection by what I could see. Yeah, no they're, PPE. No, not Nothing. at all. They just look like they're in a uniform, mm-hmm. but could be just, you know, a McDonald's uniform. Basically. Well, that was the best dresses. So how dare you? No, what I meant was in terms of the, yeah, no PPE, nothing yeah. like that. That's one of the key issues of the story that it highlights. The thing is, though, when he sees Grace putting the radium paint into her mouth, he issues a warning. But Grace is never one to back down from something that she thinks needs investigating. Right? That's the type of personality that we're dealing with here. Mm. So she goes straight to her boss and asks, is this true? Um, will I get sick from this paint? And obviously her boss, of course, says absolutely not. And Grace just believes it. Right? After all, rich people drink radium in their water by choice. Mm. So... Grace reasons with herself and thinks if a manager of the company is saying it's safe, then it has to be safe, right? Um, why wouldn't you think it's safe if you have reassured that it is? You haven't gone through some like safety video. They didn't have that then, but any some yeah. safety briefing that's telling you how you should and shouldn't yeah, exactly. engage with this product. And then, yeah, if you've got all these mainstream products where you're putting it in your hair or whatever, yeah, what, what are you to believe? Exactly. And I mean, at this moment in time, there's no issues that anyone can see, right? No one's suffering at this moment in time. Right. After World War I, though, Grace decides to leave her job as a dial painter. And a lot of the other radium girls do the same. They move on to other jobs. Many get married, have children, and they just get on with their lives, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the first sign of something being wrong is so innocent that nobody pays any attention to it. And that is... Molly Magia's toothache. 
just a painful tooth, just like any of us could get, right? Mm. But then there's the fact that things don't get better for Molly when the dentist removes her tooth. In fact, over the course of about a year, things get as bad as they possibly can get. And then on one terrible afternoon in September, sadly, Molly dies. Now, Molly is dressed in a white dress. She wore stockings and she was put in her black pumps and she was buried in a wooden coffin with a silver number plate. At the time, doctors were bewildered. And so after her death, they gave her family an explanation and they said that Molly had syphilis. Now, some of the symptoms did correspond with that of syphilis, but sadly, the image of this confident, outgoing, independent girl who's left the family home, who's unmarried, gives the story, like, especially when you consider the time, like a questionable kind of moral color, if you want to call it that. And yeah, given the time, syphilis might have been the assumption that many of us might have jumped to. And that's what was written on her death certificate, which is awful. Yeah, I think. But I guess she was one of the first people suffering with these symptoms. And so yeah. they didn't think otherwise exactly that's it but molly isn't the only radium girl to get sick grace fryer develops mysterious back pains her hips start to ache and she begins to walk with a limp and the other radium girls also having similar problems that their doctors just can't explain no one knows what's going on because they're all friends though and because they're all related they all start to share that they're all suffering and so at this moment these women begin to realize that there might be a serious problem at foot, if you want to mm. call it that. Rumors begin circulating around town. And as a result, a stigma grows around these once very sought after jobs at the Dial Studio. And naturally, this begins to hurt the company. How come... So this guy that... I can't remember his name now. Von Zakoki. That's it. How could I forget? He came in, he told her, yeah, you shouldn't do that. You'll get sick. But then nothing was done in that company whatsoever because surely... To reinforce that, it just goes back to how they were. Well, this is uh, something that we'll cover later on, but we discover that Von Sokoki, even though he is the founder of the company, mm. and even though he is the vendor of the paint, he is not in charge. Okay. So it's not down to him. He obviously has a concern. He's expressed that concern, but certain factors take place, which means that he is almost backed into a corner, which we're going to cover at length okay, in a minute. Fine. But you're right. Why didn't he do more? Well, why yeah. didn't he say something other than just issue that small little warning? Yeah. So the USRC decide to commission a report to prove that Radium and by extension the company has nothing to do with the women's ailments. They bring on these reputable doctors to assist in the report, which finds the cause of all these problems is in fact Radium. But of course, this is not the answer that the company was hoping to hear. So they do their best to suppress this report, but the word gets out and people are sickened and literally shocked by the report's findings. But the company starts to maintain that even though this is what the report says, there is still no proof because in 1925, the technology to directly measure radiation in the body of a living person is just not yet possible. You have to have literally died before anyone is able to kind of test your bones to see if radium was inside them. The crazy thing about radium is that chemically, it is very similar to calcium. And so the body cannot distinguish between the two things. Really? So when you ingest radium, radium is mistaken for calcium. And so your body incorporates this into your bones, making your skeleton literally radioactive. Obviously, the radium girls don't want to wait for an autopsy. 
they want proof now. So critical to the step was a doctor called Harrison Martland, who was at the time the chief medical examiner in the New Jersey kind of state at the time. Because of his position, he was responsible for investigating unusual or suspicious deaths. So when the health issues and the deaths related to radium exposure among the dial painters came to light, it was just natural for him to become involved inside the investigation. So he comes up with this groundbreaking diagnostic tool for breath testing to measure the amount of radiation trapped inside a person's lungs. So in the summer of 1925, the girls were called in one by one by Harrison Martland to be tested. When Grace Fryer turns up, she walks in and she sees Dr. Saban Arnold von Sokoki. Grace obviously remembers that warning about putting the paintbrush into her mouth all those years ago. Do not do that. You will get sick. Here they are. And it hits her that he had known all this time that the paint was, in fact, dangerous. Mm. And if he knew all this time, then the company knew all along too. And apparently, he just didn't give a shit. Really? Mm. After all of that? Yeah. But now it seems that Von Sokoki has had a change of heart of some kind because he's here helping the radium girls prove their case. It's a little bit late, but fine, whatever. Well, is it too late? I mean, at this point, these guys don't know what's ha- going to be happening, yeah. right? Now, Dr. Martin would later say that there is no way that he could have devised any of these radiation tests without Von Sokoki's help at all. Okay. That's important. Put a pin in that. Okay. So it's likely a combination of guilt and scientific curiosity that motivates Von Sokoki to get involved the way that he does. But Grace wonders why he didn't do something sooner. So she just confronts him directly and asks, why didn't you help us? Good for her. And Von Sokoki says that he tried to warn the corporation about the dangers, but in the end, he had no control over how the painters used the paint. But to Grace, this just isn't a satisfying answer to her. No, I'd be so angry. Mm. Yeah, of course you could. Of course you could have some say in that. Yeah, that's it. It's sickening. But I'm trying, I try to put myself into his shoes, like think about how new the technology is, He's a scientist, of course. Would you be slated for trying to push against it? I don't know, because it's such a new thing. I don't Mm. know if I can relate at all. But I feel like if he's got a feeling or has evidence Mm -hmm. and understands that that's going to be dangerous to a person, I don't know what the entire company is like in terms of like corporate greed. I'm Mm -hmm. guessing that's obviously a part of this. Well, American capitalism, isn't it? Yeah. But then to think that they go, well, can we at least put some measures? Let's put them in gloves. Let's do something. Just tell them not to put it in their mouth. Mm -hmm. None of that was ever taken. But then I guess that could then scare the girls to go, actually, is this an issue? Do I want to be doing this job? Yeah, for sure. It would make me question that. But it was quite a well-paying job as well. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Not well-paying enough. No. uh, Yeah, nothing's worth it. So I I think personally the fact that she was courageous enough just to even ask the question, I think tells us quite a lot about who Grace was, which by the end of the story, I became really proud of her. Like she means, I feel like Grace means a lot to me because of what she went through and what she did. Mm-hmm. And I just this little moment here where she just asked him outright, that's the kind of person that you look up to, right? Someone's going to take the courage and just ask the questions. Yeah. That stood out to me the most. So Grace gets the tests and Dr. Martland scans her body with the electrometer and she blows into the test tubes to measure the amount of radiation in her lungs. And when the results come back, 
it's a huge moment because it's the first time that they receive definitive scientific proof that it is radium that's been hurting them. Now, Grace and the others are told that they have radiation poisoning and point blank, they are told that they are going to die. Now, despite obviously that personal horror and tragedy that these women experience in this moment, they also recognize like a glimmer of hope because the proof they now possess could be pivotal in providing them with the means to hold the company accountable for its actions, right? Mm -hmm. So the girls decide that they want to try and bring this knowledge to the world that radium is dangerous. They want to protect other workers who are like still painting in these factories across the USA because this isn't the only factory. There's loads of them. And they also want to protect anyone who's encountered radium like in their fancy water or their sexy jock straps, you know? <laughs> so the girls, they join forces to fight back. And on the 18th of May, 1927, five former dial painters file a lawsuit against the United States Radium Corporation. And Grace Fryer is leading the charge, which I think is brilliant. Good for her. So she's the one who manages to find a lawyer after being turned down by so many lawyers who refused to take on the case, mostly because they didn't want to go up against a powerful, influential opponent like the United States Radium Corporation. And remember, the USRC, they have connections with the military and other various big industries. Mm -hmm. So also the lack of legal precedent in this case really is off-putting to many lawyers. Because in the 1920s, there's almost no prior legal precedent for holding companies accountable for worker safety or occupational diseases. Oh, really? No. So it's not clear whether the law would even support them at this point, which made it really risky for lawyers to take this case on, which is sickening. Because to think that a lawyer would decide not to pursue a case over the uncertainty of whether or not they are likely to win over whether or not it's the morally right thing to do. It's just so American. I don't know if I'd limit it to just America, but I think it, the, I guess at this point, corporations win outright at the time. And the, what's the word? Like David and Goliath, mm. I guess a little bit where David didn't have a voice until now. Yeah, I guess so. But Grace finds... Raymond Barry, who realizes that the girls are going to need all the scientific proof that they can possibly get. And that includes looking again at Molly Magia's death. He wants to know very specifically and very directly whether or not Molly died from syphilis, as stated on her birth certificate, or was it in fact radium? To find out, they need Molly's bones. So they have her exhumed. When they lift Molly's coffin from its grave and they reveal her bones to the world, her bones are literally glowing. Really? Mm-hmm. That it kind of reminds me of those magazines you'd get as a kid where you have to like collect different parts of a skeleton, which is their glowing parts. Yeah. You just can't imagine that actually being a real mm. person. It's like a toy. That's mm. what I think of glowing stuff. I don't think of anything really real or serious. Are you referring to the dinosaur? Things the, like the that, The dinosaur yeah. bone things that we yeah. collect in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I imagined in my head. I want to know what it looks like to be glowing. Is it really like that kind of green glow? No. 
I knew I know that for a fact. So when you see a lot of this green glow, it's not. It's just a glow. Okay. It excites some of the molecules in whatever it's been absorbed. So if the paint was like an orange paint, it would make I think it glow orange. Okay. If it was a white paint, it would glow a bit white. If it was green paint, then it would, so it's not the radium that's. I couldn't work it out. I just couldn't. I wanted, yeah. If you know, write in and let us know. I just <laughs> couldn't work it out. Yeah. I also think of as an episode of The Simpsons when, mm. wasn't it Mr. Burns, like, in the night, he's a bit delirious. He's, like, glowing and stuff like that. Really? I don't remember that. Why yeah. is it because he's he been... goes missing. But why is he glowing? Oh, because he works at the radioactive plant. Okay. You mean the power plant? Oh, the nuclear plant. Yeah. When I think of radium, I always think of the intro to The Simpsons when Homer leaves off work because the battle has gone and then that big radioactive kind of bar goes clink, yep. falls into his back pocket and then it travels around the town. That's why I think it's green. I always think it's green. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of the modern day media depictions and stories that have been told, there is that element of that green glow. And I think maybe the paint numbers were green. Maybe the paint was like a green mm. thing. I don't know where that comes from. It's just baffling to me. Maybe I should have researched more. <laughs> so they finally do some tests and they show definitively that Molly died from radiation poisoning caused by... Did they need radiation. to do tests or was it? Well, I mean, apart from the bones glowing, they discovered that they had radium in them because they can do these tests. I feel like I'd opened the coffin and gone, yeah, that was it. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. So it wasn't syphilis. So now the women have the evidence that they need... So they tell the company, we're going to see you in court, which is good. Mm -hmm. It starts. So they arrive for court in January 1928. There's flashbulbs going off everywhere as the world media comes to witness what's going on, right? The trial of the radium girls is huge internationally because radium wasn't just a problem in the US. It was also found in French cosmetics, in British boots, in British stockings like even in the global food supply. So this is something that concerns the entire world, right? Yeah. So the United States Radium Corporation had spent years silencing anyone who might imply that radium caused health problems. So they even went as far as trying to hire doctors to give obviously the dial painters a clean bill of health. So that was all lies. And then they even bullied the families of the girls who started to like ask questions. They'd even buried the report that they had commissioned when it was suggested that employees were being routinely exposed to dangerous levels of radiation. And so when the trial starts, the company naturally is coming out swinging, right? They try everything they can, every legal argument possible to try and avoid getting to the question of, is there any guilt involved here? The first thing they try is to get the case thrown out on a technicality. The United States Radium Corporation points out that if you want to sue over workplace injury suffered in New Jersey, then there is a strict two-year statute of limitations and that these injuries happened way more than two years ago, so the case should just be dismissed. Mm -hmm. But the woman's lawyer, Raymond, has a very clever interpretation of the two-year statute of limitations. Barry tells the court that it's only been two years since the doctors figured out how to confirm that radiation poisoning even existed. So he says that's when the clock on the statute of limitations should start ticking, meaning that the radium girls have filed their complaint actually in the nick of time. And so the trial begins. So the radium girls present a mountain of damning evidence, including 
Dr. Harrison Martland's research and Molly Maggier's glowing bones, right? It all makes an appearance in this court case. The press literally lapped this up and Grace Fryer and the other girls become celebrities literally overnight. And then it comes time for Grace to testify. So she's fairly weak at this time, right? When she takes the stand, sadly, her jaw is like bandaged up from the number of different operations that she's had. And she needs like a metal back brace just to kind of help her stand and like kind of sit up straight because her bones are just so weak and brittle. Her x-rays show that her vertebrae have been like crushed by the radium that's inside of her spine. So her spine is collapsing. It's just incredible just how much endurance she has just to persevere, especially considering the condition that she's in, right? She's incredibly determined and her testimony is clear, it's concise and it's super elegant. So Grace explains how she was taught to lip point and how Von Sokoki had warned her that lip pointing might make her sick. Her testimony is devastating and when it's finished, the defense calls the next star witness and that is Dr. Sabin Arnold Von Sokoki himself. The very same. The very same, the one and only. Now, the defense lawyer, Raymond Barry, is eager to get his testimony on record. He thinks this is going to be like that final nail in the coffin that's going to crucify the company. This is going to be what wins the case for the girls. That's what he believes. Remember, Von Zuckoki is the foremost expert on radium. He was trained under the Curies themselves. So if anyone knows about the dangers of radium, is going to be this guy, right? So it's important that we're getting him on the stand. Not to mention he had also invented the poisonous paint and he had helped develop the tests to prove that the paint had actually made the girl sick in the first place. And now he has the chance to redeem himself by testifying on the girl's behalf. I feel like you've built it up to say, of course he's going to admit to it, but I don't think he's going to. Wow. So Barry asks him under oath, Is it true or not that you had warned the company about the dangers of the paint and that you felt that you couldn't do anything about it because the dial painters were not in your jurisdiction? That's the way that Von Zuckocki had explained it to Grace on that day in Dr. Martland's office. But on the stand, Von Zuckocki replies, absolutely not. That is not true at all. He denies it outright and the courtroom is stunned. And then Von Zuckocki proceeds with the following lie. He says, not only did I not warn the company, he says, I never told Grace Fryer that lip pointing would make her sick. Wow. He says he didn't do this because he said the danger was unknown even to us. That us is really important because it puts him back on the side with the company. Yeah. He's not saying the danger was unknown to me. He's saying the danger was unknown to us. And so, at that crucial moment under oath, Von Zuckocki betrays the Radium Girls, which is just devastating. Yeah. What an arsehole. Do you think, yeah, I'm guessing either he felt he couldn't, what would happen to his career, Mm -hmm. all this type of stuff. But at the same, I'm not obviously condoning to any of that. I'm just thinking that this is motivation, Mm -hmm. which is covering his ass. But then why would he go to make those tests? So that shows guilt, doesn't it? Yeah. Who knows? But it's coming up. Okay. So what is amazing is that up until this point, Von Zuckocki showed a huge concern about the possible dangers of radium, right? First warning Grace, then assisting to develop the necessary tests to prove that radium was indeed the common denominator across all the sick women, right? We've established that. So it doesn't make any sense given Von Zuckocki's previous actions. So 
What could have made him do such a thing? Why did he change his mind? It turns out that Von Zukoki was also dying. Remember, he'd worked closely with Radium for years. Yeah. You can imagine that if you're immersing your arm in solutions of Radium, then you know that's not going to end so well. He already saw what happened to his little finger. Now, around the time that the girls were going through their tests, on a whim, Von Sokoki had blown into the breath test that he helped create, and he found to his horror that his radiation levels were the highest tested on record. So perhaps his own mortality influenced his decision. Perhaps staring death in the face affected him some way. I don't buy that. Or perhaps the promise that his family would be provided for after he had gone may have all influenced his decision to betray the women. How interesting. So the company is like, we'll look after your family. Possibly. Now, or this... If Providing he doesn't testify against them, then, I don't know, the pension yeah. pays out or whatever. I think I buy that explanation. Now, obviously, this entire story is based on Kate Moore's book on the subject, which is just incredible. She says that she found no definitive evidence about the motive behind why Von Sokoki changed his testimony. However, she did find a memo in the files of the United States Radium Corporation, which was written in the lead up to the trial by a company official, and it said... We need to get aligned on what Von Sokoki is doing and where he is. And that's all it said. And Kate Moore says that perhaps they attract him down. Perhaps a conversation took place behind closed doors um, that helped pry him away from Grace and the other women and then back onto the company side. Was there some kind of deal done there? Like mm. you said, was he going to protect their family? Because he's dying now, right? Yeah. You'd think he's got nothing to lose. So there's clearly a motive there. Yeah. A few months later... In November 1928, Von Sokoki dies of radiation poisoning. Now, the papers liken Von Sokoki to kind of Dr. Frankenstein at the time, a victim of his own creation, mm -hmm. they say, which I think is pretty apt, really. Whatever the reason for Von Sokoki's betrayal, this testimony seriously damages the radium girls' case. And in the end, they end up setting with the company outside of court. So they don't even have this big old victory. You could still call it a victory, I guess. But the United States Radium Corporation agrees to cover the women's medical costs and pay each woman 10000 US dollars. I think that's like the equivalent of $150,000 today. Plus, they have to pay a small annual stipend. But there is a catch. Grace and the other girls must submit to an annual exam by committee, right? Dominated by the company's chosen doctors every year. And this is essentially to prove that they haven't made some kind of miraculous recovery. After all, the company can't have those women like taking advantage of their generosity, can they? No. The fact is that they're willing to pay out a little bit, but I bet they're thinking, oh, they're probably going to be dead in five years. So There's probably not that much money. Do you know what's even sickening? What? Sure enough, four years later, the company doctors stopped approving most of the women's medical expenses for repayment because they are saying that they've recovered enough but they haven't these women are dying they've recovered enough but they're how are they even saying that it's because they've got these doctors on hand to, to give them all the clear so they're obviously working for the company right oh your leg's falling off oh that's nothing to do with radium yep. adam well i'm just saying it was ridiculous it is ridiculous there is this truly heart-wrenching account shared by grace's nephew a guy called Art, who recounts how his father would drive Grace to her medical appointments. He recalls the emotional toll that these trips would take 
on his father, which is obviously Grace's brother, who would often break down in tears after dropping Grace off at her home following these visits. Now, during the appointments, doctors would like surgically remove parts of her jaw. So the somber journey back home was just so painfully difficult for both Grace physically and her brother, like emotionally, to have to watch her go through that. And on the 27th of October, 1933, Grace passes away and her cause of death on her death certificate is listed as radium sarcoma, a direct result of industrial poisoning. In contrast to Molly Magia's death certificate, the truth of Grace's suffering is plainly now documented on her death certificate in black and white. And I think that stands as a testament to her unwavering fight for justice and just having that recognition rather than it being coined to something like syphilis, mm-hmm. which is a massive insult. I think that's a massive a massive triumph for her because yeah. that's what she was fighting for. She knew what her fate was, but yet she continued on, which remains a lasting tribute to her brave battle. Mm-hmm. Now, Grace's story, however, doesn't end with her death. Her legacy has likely saved literally thousands of lives around the world thanks to her courageous pursuit for justice. The international attention her case garnered meant that other dial painters in various locations learned from her struggle. They read the newspaper articles and they confronted their managers demanding better working conditions and protection from the dangers of radium. And equally, because of this, ordinary people who've been using things like radium-infused water and other radium-based products also took notice and they just stopped consuming these hazardous items, preventing further exposure to the harmful effects of radium. So... All these other products were made by the USRC? No, they were made by all sorts of different companies. Yeah, the USRC was primarily responsible for painting dials on military kind of grade instruments and things like that. But they were one of the many businesses that just, or companies that took advantage of this new element Mm -hmm. that got discovered. So Grace's fight for justice and the widespread recognition it received had a far-reaching impact. Seven years after Grace's passing in 1939, a group of dial painters in Illinois took their employer to court. When their employer was found liable for the harm caused to their employees, it ignited a really broad international conversation about safety and workers' rights. And this critical dialogue eventually led to the establishment of a new federal agency. In America, it's called the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or OSHA for short. In the United Kingdom, the equivalent of OSHA is the Health and Safety Executive, so the HSE. You see the little posters Mm -hmm. when you at work and stuff. Now, OSHA's creation marks a significant milestone in the ongoing effort to protect workers from hazardous conditions and ensured just everyone's Mm well-being in just the general workplace. And Grace's legacy and her fight for justice plays this really pivotal role in these essential changes across the world, really, making the world literally a safer place for like millions, hundreds of millions of workers, which I just think is incredible. For example, if you visit like a business today and something's like terribly wrong, you can just call OSHA or the HSE and they'll send an inspector down, which was just not a thing that was done back in that back in the day. So without the complaints and their fight, obviously for this maybe these kind of companies and bodies that have been put up to protect workers Mm. would have been put in place or at least a lot later on that's right i think it would always have gone that way but it's got to start with someone and it just happens to be grace and that's what's driven it yeah Yeah. 
So yeah, there's Blaine, there's a claim. That's thanks to Grace. <laughs> thanks to Grace. Thanks, Grace. <laughs> so what Grace and these women did back then has implications for us all today. And I think that in itself made this story so much more significant outside of just what happened. Mm -hmm. And it makes me really proud to know her as well. I think she's just really incredible. And also it makes me feel like I know her as well, just because of it as well, because of her struggle and the humanity that is laid on thick mm -hmm. through Kate Moore's book and everything that I read about her and how human all the accounts made her out to be. The fact that she was just young and beautiful, that always helps, doesn't it? So how long did the USRC carry on for? Because you mentioned... Oh, they're pretty much not much longer. I think by the 60s, they were done. Because, yeah, you mentioned a few other companies, mm -hmm. obviously, were mm -hmm. taken to court and stuff. The radium using those watch dials have a half-life of 1,600 years. And so it's still very much present in the dial painter's bones even today. And even in the factories that were around at that time, they've been demolished, but the ground underneath radioactive it's radioactive yeah so there's big swathes of this land which have to be cleaned up properly and a lot of them haven't and there's loads of accounts of kids who grow up by playing around these factories after they're closed but they're playing in these radioactive areas because that's where this paint was used and disposed of mm -hmm. and mixed and stuff so it's infected inside this land what about people that used all drank the water or put it in their hair and all this sort of stuff i'm sure if you're drinking radioactive water Seven glasses a day, I'm sure that's going to have some kind of negative impact, isn't it? Yeah, it's just a thought of, imagine like laying in bed next to your other half and they're glowing and you're like, that's not right. <laughs> your belly's glowing. <laughs> it's like when they take one of those digestion, those adverts where they like advertise some sort of digestion thing and they like their body glows. Yeah, that's because, it, to demonstrate. Yeah. Yeah. Is radium and x-rays the same thing? I don't know. Is that used in that? I don't think so. I don't know. Because remember, you could go to these old-fashioned shoe shops from as late as the 1950s where you could get your feet measured for new shoes. And in these old-fashioned little shoe shops, you would go in, you would put your feet inside this little wooden container and it would take an x-ray of your feet to then calculate the size of your feet. And that was all radioactive. That couldn't have been good, right? You could literally look in and you could see the outline of your bones and stuff as you look through the little view thing. Yeah, you're not supposed to have too many x-rays, are you? You're not. No. Although that reminds me, as a kid, if you're going to go get your feet measured, everyone would go to Clark's pretty mm -hmm. much. And there'd be like this device that you put your foot in I and see. then it would turn on and then it would like gradually, these walls would close in. On, yeah, like uh, width ways and height ways. And you think it's going to crush my foot. It didn't. But you'd always think it would. Yeah. So I guess that's like kind of the lead on from the x-ray things. Yeah, it's the safer way. But I don't really know how x-rays work. Maybe we should do a whole podcast on that. Maybe. Is there radium in there? I don't know. I don't think... There must be some kind of radiation in there. But anyway, so even as we're talking now, these women are laying in their graves and their bodies are still glowing from the radium. And yeah, that wraps up this episode on the radium girls. Well, that's yeah, I did not know that story mm. and i didn't know obviously what came about it afterwards its legacy yeah. its impact yeah what what was the significance of mary curie and what's his husband in terms of being that guy's boss was they it? were just like really famous chemists right okay. yeah so if you watch big bang theory you always hear sheldon going on about the curies but yeah she extremely famous woman she died of radiation poisoning 
I don't know when, I think very early on, but yeah, from handing all the radiation that they were playing around with plutonium and uranium and radium. Yeah, I didn't realize that she was connected to that. And obviously we're, we use her names used as a charity for cancer, but actually she... I guess because it was used to treat cancer. So yeah. I think that's quite fitting at the time early. Because what they would do is they would put the radium in some kind of little box mm -hmm. and then they would hold it over the patient, the affected area. And the idea is that it would then damage some of the cells in the area and then shrink the tumor. I'm assuming it works in a similar way now. I'm not sure how they apply or administer the radiation. Mm -hmm. But if you have cancers and things like that, isolated cancers like throat cancer, sometimes they can treat it with radiation and yeah, it just literally destroys the cells. It's indiscriminate, if you will. So thank you for tuning in and being part of the Compendium community. We'd love to hear your thoughts and suggestions for future stories or guests so feel free to email us at thecompendiumpod at gmail.com or stay connected with us on instagram at the compendium podcast for the latest episodes and behind the scenes content as we sign off remember to stay curious keep uncovering the fascinating and intriguing things the world has to offer and until next time goodbye see you next week <laughs>